With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. We are back on another episode. Yes, I'm joined as always by Ben Snyder. And I'm Patrick Leary. Uh, ben, we some semi-joked, I don't know, joked, but hoped, I guess maybe is a better word, that we would be reconvening um, with a basketball team back to 500 in the conference. Um, and while the second game of the group was a little stressful, um, this team, after a struggling start, got there rather without incident. Um, yeah. Um, surprise. After, after the Seton Hall game, uh, just with everything going on months, uh, Marquette essentially hitting rock bottom for the year and, uh, more important football games happening in my life. Um, I was, uh, emotionally not tuned out, but I was a lot less invested than I normally was. And so I think it's all reliant on me being calm for, Marquette to perform well, so I'll take your thanks as they come. Yeah, I mean, I think blowing out Xavier was a bit of a reset game for this team. And that was um, a blowout blowout. Like, yeah, I mean, it was one of those games that just absolutely was a dominating metric display. Um, Marquette went way up in Ken Palm. Hashtag do it for the net. Yeah, and Xavier went way down. Um, And I think that game was a... It it was a reset for me. I mean, one in three coming off of that really bad loss to Providence and then the blowout at Seton Hall. Um, A team that has continue to cement itself as probably the best in the conference right now Um, yeah we we can uh maybe table some big east conversation for later but uh basically what the hell is going on in basketball right now yeah sure and then just like maybe that loss wasn't as bad as we thought it was maybe Um, and so it was really that xavier blowout was oh this team You know, I was thinking, like, oh, man, if this team keeps playing like this, they might struggle to win six games in the conference. And, you know, now I think it's back to the goal is to finish over 500. Um, But I think still um, the difficulty will be weeks like this upcoming week where you have the home game with momentum that you need to win. So you need to show up and um, get through it. And then you'll have a marquee road game um, that you've not yet proved capable of winning um, a game like that. So I think the uphill battle continues. But Yeah. And as I kind of closed out the pod last week saying, I essentially boiled it down to like the Xavier Georgetown, St. John's, three-game stretch will go a long way in offsetting the Providence loss. And we're not quite there yet because we got this uh, game against St. John's coming up, but uh, we are two-thirds of the way there. So uh, we're doing well so far. But, yeah, there's a lot more to do. Even a flawed, recently flawed Butler team is still going to be insanely tough to beat on the road. Yeah, that game's going to be really difficult. Um but, but I think to reset to this week, I mean, this is exactly the kind of week that you needed. Yeah, um, exactly. If we're going to start um, on 
the negative end first, I think the only thing that you're really looking at out of this past week that's concerning would be the defense at Georgetown um, and how that contributes to a larger trend. Um, In the arena at the time, I didn't think um, the defense was as bad as it was statistically. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I guess would caution that I think a lot of the struggle defensively in that game was that Yurt Seven could basically get whatever he wanted at the rim a lot of times. But we think if you read the Paint Touches article from earlier today, it seems like it's becoming a larger trend that the defense has taken a big step back. And they're still really not able to force turnovers. Um, So I guess that would be the one problem area to point out out of these last two games. Yeah, uh, the fact that uh, Georgetown went 10 of 13 at the rim, and that's not necessarily all Yurt 7 and Wahab even. That's guys like Mac McClung going to to That's... Jane Mosley going to two at the realm. It's a it's a combination of uh, some of those issues that we saw in like 2017, 2018. Not necessarily to that scale, but the wings are just kind of letting drivers go through, and it's putting guys like a a hurt Theo John and a cinder block for feet Jace Johnson in tough positions where. They need to help in extreme ways, and it just opens up so much of the floor for either open shooters, which Georgetown took advantage of by making nine of their 18 threes, or giving easier shots to Yurt Seven, and he took advantage as well. So it's a uh, it's a worrying trend given what Wojo's defenses have shown in the past, and so uh, that's definitely something to keep an eye out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I I don't I don't know the 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 victory against Xavier was so complete, um, mm-hmm. and the game against Georgetown was so what I expected it to be, um, just a um, hectic mess to the very end. Yeah, and it's not like Georgetown is a bad offense by any stretch either. Like I should account for that. A little bit more like on Bart Torvik, they're the 18th offense overall, but still, that's not something that should dominate Marquette with the defensive players that we have. I, I found um, Mosley's efficiency surprising, but I shouldn't. That's his MO, I suppose, this year, um, as well as uh, Pickett making both of his threes and missing all of his two or. Uh, Missing seven of his twos was a bit um, jarring as well. So I think Georgetown may have sort of overperformed what I expected from them. McClung had a stretch um, where he... Um, where yeah, is he, Mac McClung well, actually like better than... What a lot of us expected him to be. Like, I don't think anyone expected him to repeat what he did in his high school mixtapes, but uh, he's turned into like a pretty decent guard for this team. Yeah. So what I'll say about McClung, my impressions, uh, watching him again, is he is a very effective scorer. Um, mm-hmm. He's very good at, at creating openings for himself. Um whether it be as a jump shooter or getting to the rim or, you know, he's just a very crafty and effective scorer. Um, At the same time, uh, Georgetown did not have him on the floor for a lot of the finishing sequence of the game because he's a very poor, poor defender. He's a bad defender. Yeah, he was uh, he was getting carved up. On Which on a seven-man roster is really problematic mm-hmm. because they're essentially, without him, forced to play every one of their non-centers. 
um, to improve their defense, which mm-hmm. that's so, you know, potentially not, it's, it's potentially very dangerous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, McClung is a good Big East player, um, but I think he's really has a long way to go um, to be one of those he's torturing your team and you're scared every time you play him kind oh, of guys. Yeah. His, his defense is extremely problematic. Um, yeah. I think so. So Jace and Theo um, were at times outmatched by um, Yurt Seven and Wahab for Georgetown. Um, Wahab seems like a guy that is going to torture us in a couple of years. He's yeah. he's only a freshman, but man, that guy is big, and he's like he's pretty sure-handed too. Like well, he made all of his shots. I mean, it was really impressive how his shots were not easy, and he was you know handling it very smoothly. Yeah, like I was kind of expecting him, like just based on like his build and the fact that he's a freshman, I was like, okay, just like double him and get like some dumb turnovers out of him. But like he held on to the ball pretty well. And yeah, he was pretty efficient. That's, but yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, no, I, I, I was impressed by him and your seven is so skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm, that is a very, that's, that's an anomalous big man in, college basketball i mean that guy is really talented and he's kind of just flying under the radar for this team and really shouldn't be so i mean and he and so i think that's probably the biggest reason why the um effective field goal percentage defense was so poor for marquette is that those guys were really putting in time um crushing us at the rim um and so um, he definitely. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't yeah. hate it as much if it weren't part of a larger trend. I guess is my general point. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so I think that the sort of the going forward takeaway in the defense is it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, if market struggles to defend a really terrible offensive team like St. John's and rest assured that you and I were talking about it offline today or online, I guess, but not on the pod um, about how bad St. John's is offensively, um, especially within the conference. St. John's is, um, you know, far and away with the exception of being a team that really protects the ball. Well, is far and away the worst shooting team in the big East. Um, and so if they put up a decent number at Pfizer tomorrow, um, that'll be really concerning. That's, that'll be where you'll see me sort of start to panic about, um, this defense. Especially uh, because there's not really that big guy that could potentially dominate Theo John. Like their starting center is six foot nine. And so it's going to be a lot of smaller guys, which means that like the Brendan Bailey's and the Jamal Keynes of the world are probably going to have to show a little bit of quickness and keeping those guys in front. And it should be an easier task given how generally bad they are. But yeah, if they're, uh, if they're struggling to uh, get them away from the rim in this game, especially when like they're not shooting threes at all, like they are trying to get to the rim at all costs and, Marquette's job should be to prevent that at all costs. And so if they're able to convert at a decently high rate, then yeah, I'm probably pressing the panic button again. Yeah. And also Butler's not a very good offensive team um, or not a St. John's. No, I, no, I was going to say on top of that, the next oh, game, okay. Butler is not, Butler's a fine offensive team. Um, they uh, have not been very good. Um, in the conference so far, um, yeah, they turn turn the ball over. At yeah, Kamar Baldwin. Uh, I don't. I I'm watching the last couple games, but uh, I, I kind of remember uh, at the after the first couple weeks of the year, we were 
having a pod discussion about the Big East as a whole, and we mentioned that Kamar Baldwin was like torching the world at that point, and since that point, basically, he'd really been slumping, and uh, yeah, I think tough. over the last couple games, uh, they've started to fall back to earth a little bit uh, in terms of that, but uh, yeah, they're still uh, they're still pretty scary. So uh, this week overall, like in terms of uh, getting those matchups against uh, maybe not as good offenses, will uh, will probably go a long way in seeing uh, how how high this ceiling is for the defense. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we'll definitely we'll definitely learn a lot about that this week. Um, more to the positive end, um, think first of all, Marcus Howard, I guess is where this conversation starts and ends. Um, great week for him. Um, I, I I just I when they said uh, when they brought the ticker up that said he has 38 points, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, like like this is this was just like a normal game for him. Mm-hmm. And he's just like hawking up 38, like it's just nothing. Like I'm, I'm really starting to get to the point where like I'm counting the games that I'll be able to see him over the rest of his career, and it's a, uh, it's starting to get into the single digits mark. Not quite at that point yet, but uh, I feel like this is like a high school relationship where you know you're gonna break up at the end when you're going to different colleges, and so you're just slowly starting to say goodbye to the person, even though you don't want to emotionally. And that's how I'm feeling about Marcus right now. I just, I just want to grasp every single moment and put it in a box and keep it in the depths of my soul. We're yeah. just getting way deep on this podcast now. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good analogy. Um, I am, uh, I'm trying to not to focus on that. Uh, but I also think that a good way to like watch Marquette is instead of stressing out about the Ken Palm defense, just like watch Marcus Howard play for the next three, uh, two, three months, and yep. then then you'll be fine. Like that's a it's a good uh, it's a good way to experience the rest of this season. Um, and yeah, I, I think you know against Xavier, um, he did great work and casually scored 35 points and um it was a little volumey but he um you know played a good game and and they didn't i think, really I think it was rob doster of all people that brought up today that uh the last time marcus did not score at least 27 points was on december 7th yeah that's pretty good um that is that is really good yeah i mean and, yeah, and also uh i kind of want to bring up a little bit uh the article that uh i wrote on uh, monday afternoon but for the most part in terms of going on the positives train uh the turnovers issue has pretty much gone away since conference play started and i kind of wanted to launch on that a little bit because the stat that just absolutely blew my mind like especially considering the fact that over the last part of the previous year we're turning it over like a fifth of the time at least every single game going into this year was more the same they were barely scraping the top 300 in the country in terms of coughing the ball up and since the k-state game december 7th they've been in the top 15 in the whole country in terms of not turning the ball over so not only is that like a mid-season complete flip for Wojo, but that's also going into, like, the teeth of conference play. Like, there's only a couple of the bye games in there. Like, this against, like, Providence, Seton Hall, Xavier, Villanova, Creighton, Georgetown also. And they've just been incredible at taking care of the ball. And honestly, Marcus Howard is at the forefront of that. Like, he's about to be top 500 in the country in terms of taking care of the ball. And, He's getting doubled the minute he sees half court. And so it's just yet another one of those adjustments that we're seeing out of him that just makes him a complete college basketball player. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, that's a huge key 
especially in light of what we've been talking about with the uh, defense, defensive struggles, because that's only going to exacerbate the defensive struggles if the turnovers continue um, to, you know, if the turnovers were at the same level um, that they were in the non-con, I think we'd be in huge trouble. Um, But now that that is mellowed out, I think that's how you win a game where you give up an insane effective field goal percentage like like they did on Saturday. Um, One other quick thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit this week, so to let the listener peek behind the curtain a little bit, uh, our uh, our cult leader, Andy, uh, put in our group me that uh, he might not be available to watch some of the Marquette games, so uh, he put out a bat signal for someone to uh, write the recap, and I said there was a non-zero chance of me being able to do it, but uh, because I didn't actually confirm, I was three-quarters of the way done with my recap when Andy actually posted the one that he wrote. Um, but in uh, the recap that I was writing, I was, I had a couple paragraphs that really delved into, uh, this week as a whole being a particularly good offensive week in large part because Wojo is kind of sort of starting to actually use the bigs as a legitimate part of this offense. And in George against Georgetown, you saw a couple plays where, Theo John on a pick and roll, like the he was rolling towards the basket and he was actually getting the ball passed to him. Like normally in those situations for the team, he's picking, rolling, and then nothing happens. It's going straight to the ball handler and someone like Marcus or Kobe is being asked to create on their own for that. And with that little bit extra attention to the driver, they're finally starting to get those passes in there. And then Jace Johnson got just a couple little feeds in the post, like nothing really too special, a little bit of a clear out, give him some space to run and then let him do a hook shot and resulted in Jason Theo combining for nine shots. Whereas after the Badger game, I was kind of railing on Wojo for only giving the centers a combined like three or four shots. And so it's not much in terms of, the overall offense, especially considering Marcus Howard's increasing usage, but it's just a little bit of something else that the defense now has to consider when they're playing Marquette. They can't just extend to the perimeter and know that they have to dribble past them in order to get to the rim. Like there's now the option of a post up, a pick and roll, maybe an alley-oop at some point in the future. So I was really impressed with how Wojo has started to sprinkle those guys in a little bit, and it led to them shooting over 50% from two each of the two games this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, beyond, we talked about Marcus, um, and Marcus really was the story against Georgetown, um, especially. I mean, he really flipped the switch. I reiterate, he's good. He is. He's quite good. Um, and that's really what, helped in uh in that game i mean i think there was a there was a one of the accounts that it's like marquette golden eagles or some one of those accounts it's like popped up a lot recently on my timeline and something like 14 minutes left in the half he tweeted like marcus just flat out hasn't been good enough which i didn't think i agreed with at that time and it was like he's got to be better if they're going to win this game and then marcus scored like eight points and five possessions or something. And it, it was just an absolute blitz. Um, and he took over the game. So it was one of those, he's got that look in his eyes type of game. Totally. And he was just absolutely going to work. Um, so uh, beyond Marcus, I think uh, trying to think which of the player, I mean, Sakari Annam was great in the first half. Yeah. Um, he had that, he had that stretch. He did, um, and that was really key because it kept them in the game. Um, but I also don't necessarily think they were ever really um, at risk. Um, but because Georgetown, I don't know if Georgetown had the firepower to run away from them at that point. But Marcus did co- come out of the game um, 
after he got his second foul. And Sakari, can we quickly can we quickly talk about his offensive foul on uh, another tangent? I mean, wow, yeah, dude, yeah. To to uh, give the full story for those who may have forgotten, Marcus, it was right before the under sixteen timeout. Marcus on a pick and roll was going about parallel to the bucket. And at the top of the key, he did a little bit of a fadeaway three. Of course, he just swished it. But uh, he kicked his leg out. And if I'm being honest, it was probably a flop. Uh, he uh, may have exaggerated the contact a little bit and ended up uh, on the ground. But uh, as part of the leg kick, uh, the referee, who I believe was James Breeding, uh, apparently thought that the leg kick was essentially a Spartan kick. And right. called an offensive foul on Marcus Howard. And immediate replay showed that he grazed the pantaloons of the point guard for Georgetown, Terrell Allen. And it was a absolute horseshit call, if we're being completely 100% here. It, it was, was honestly, just terrible. Honestly, like I don't even know what would ask you like or compel you to make that call like uh, what amount what amount of force would be necessary to have that call and how could that force possibly be generated on a jump shot if you know what i'm saying like you would have to kick at the person which is a completely unnatural motion when you're in the process of a jump shot like it would be a flagrant two if that was enough contact yeah i i uh, I don't, I, I've never seen that call, and I could understand the call, but it was almost just like, hey, I've heard this guy is really good, but he occasionally will use his off arm or do weird James Harden-like moves, and I need to let him know that I want to like tell him that that's not fun or okay. It was it was that kind of it was that kind of call, and it's just that's just so dumb, like. Like, like, call a flop. Like, I would not have minded a flop call, but, like, like you're just making stuff up at that point. And the fact that he made the call with such fervor, I, I always hate it when, like, refs just take it upon themselves to be the greatest showman in these types of moments and put themselves at center stage with these flailing motions in order to get an extra rise out of the crowd, it just it annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, it it was horrible, and yeah, I, I don't even. Ugh, it was terrible, and it, if it had cost them the game in any way, I think it would have been a real talking point. Yeah, and yeah, back to your point, like he had to sit out with five minutes left because of those two fouls, and that's when Sakari Anum was able to take off. Right, and that. You know, that really saved them at that point. Um, Kobe McEwen is a full-time facilitator now. Yeah, nine assists, one turnover. Yeah, very good. Um, And really, like, from the jump, you could see he was committing to, like, all right, I don't need to make the shot. I need to make the good pass to my open teammate. Um, That was, like, a real... uh, commitment from him you could tell um so he did did have his required uh overthrow into the third row of the bench there so uh especially yeah required overthrow in a important part of the situation part of the game and the foul on the three-point shot that tied the game but you have to shout out his uh, free throw shooting there at the end he he really locked the game up so even though he ended up one of six from the floor like he, he still hasn't found a shot. We're still not going to be confident that it's coming back. Like his, his game as a facilitator, I thought was really incredible on that game. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I was, I was impressed by that. And obviously he had to play a full minute load. 37 minutes is a ton uh, for a guy that's been struggling. And I thought he, he held his own pretty well. Um, and obviously they got the difficult result that they needed to get. Um, the center situation without Ed Morrow now, um, 
is an interesting one. I think that that might be the most interesting roster-related conversation right now. I think so. Um, because I do think that less Ed Morrow, um, a.k.a. no Ed Morrow, um, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of the minutes he was getting, although you did point out in your piece that um, his turnover problem has subsided immensely. Mm-hmm. It's um, still bad, but like right. it's not but terrible. It's, it's gone down from it's just out of control, bad levels. Um, but I think Theo and Jace against teams that aren't able to spread us out like a Creighton or a Villanova, um, both of them do what you want that player to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your Tevin was a difficult challenge for them, and obviously they didn't do a great job defending the rim. But, wh- you know, Ed Morrow's shortcomings were really frequently exposed, um, and it was almost just like kind of a hope-and-pray process when he was out there for a lot of the season so mm-hmm. far. Um, so I-, I think generally Theo John and Jace Johnson taking all 40 of those minutes is a positive development for Marquette. Uh, that's- I, did, I I knew going into this that Jace Johnson was like just a really good rebounder. I had no idea that he would be this much of an of a just a freak on the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's kind of a he's kind of of the Matt Hell ilk of defenders where uh, you do kind of need pieces around him, but he's not going to royally screw up as long as he's in good position. So I've been overall impressed by his defense where I really had like bottom tier expectations of his defense. So overall, I'm really impressed by what he's done this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I guess the big question is, um, will it, will we ever have issues where Marquette is completely unable to play a center um, because mm-hmm. of fouls, and it'll be a problem. Because mm-hmm. um, it was very much teetering on that point um, against uh, Georgetown. I believe both centers had four fouls with around ten minutes left. That's right, yeah. Um, and who, who was the one that fouled out? Jace on an illegal screen with about three minutes left. Good stuff. Um, yeah, they combined for nine and 40 minutes, which is not good. Right. And so the question is, will there be a time when Marquette needs a center and Marquette will run out of centers? It, they probably will. And you absolutely know that it's going to happen in the first round of the tournament against a team that has really good centers. I mean, again, that's that's not the hope. Uh, <laughs> I I think generally Marquette can survive with occasionally going to a lineup where Brendan Bailey is the tallest person on the floor. Um, I think Marquette should want to deploy that against a team like Creighton as opposed to um, because they're out of centers. Um, I hope that that situation doesn't arise, but I think it's, better in general like if you were to look at sort of the trade-off it's better to not give ed morrow minutes than it is to maybe at one point run out of centers yeah i think the positive negative there is going to see more minutes from jace johnson who is a perfect player for a team where you're just going to shoot a lot of threes and he'll get you extra possessions offensive on offensive rebounds yeah, like just um, because of just because of him, like the offensive rebounding numbers have like really started to climb up as well. So like the quote unquote little things on offense are really, really starting to improve in large part because of the turnover issues and because of the extra minutes given to Jace. Sure. Another awesome week from Brandon Bailey. Yeah. I mean, how about how about my guy? I love those stat lines so much. Just just so steady and good at what he does. 
Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of what uh my low bar expectation of him was. Uh steady stuff followed with a little sprinkling of some uh some all out great performances. But uh yeah, he he's definitely been uh, real positive on offense. Um unfortunately I've recently with uh, this uh defensive uh, downturn I've kind of started to see him as a little bit of one of the main sources of that, which is unfortunate because he oh. is able to help himself by getting some blocks. On ball wise? Yeah, on ball wise. I'm just seeing a lot more of people just kind of driving right by him. And again, like he's able to recover so well and get those blocks, and he is still super quick. Um, it just. It's not really looking like he's uh, getting that uh, control, I guess. Um, but he he has helped himself a lot more by making up for it with some of these really good offensive performances. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna completely trash him. Not I would never do that. Yeah, uh, I I mean I I think he's an immensely valuable player. Um, I'm looking at his similarity scores right now um, because I'm on Ken Palm and his second most relevant one is that of Niles Gafai, who's a player. If you were a fan of college basketball, when I was in college was an awesome bit player on two Yukon title teams, especially the Shabazz Napier one. Um, and I think that that is a very um, – he was an insanely good, insanely good, effective field goal guy. Um, just, a, just a Swiss Army knife type of player. And I think Brendan um, – that's a potential for Brendan to be – obviously, I think we want Brendan to be a more dominant player um, in his next two seasons. Um, mm-hmm. But highest offensive rating uh, conference only in the Big East right now. Oh, really? Uh, he does, yep. Shout out to him. Uh, through six games or five for a couple of the teams. Um, and, yeah, I think that that's um, right where Marquette would want him to be. Uh, yeah, and he and he does have, like, the skill set to be an elite defensive guy. I just don't think it's quite put there altogether quite yet. But uh, the offensive success is, uh, is really starting to – get me a little bit excited about future years with him. Yeah, definitely. Um, do we want to do a little bit of around the big East? Do we have any main Marquette points? We didn't, we didn't touch on. Um, I can reiterate how much I love Marcus Howard. If you want me to do that. Uh, yeah, I think we, uh, I, I can write a little sonnet if you want. I don't know how sonnets work, but uh, I can make it up. Let me count the ways, kind of stuff. How yeah. do I have the? Um, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think so, yeah, we can go. We can go on to Big East talk. Just like yell one time that Marcus Howard should not be um, taken for granted. Absolutely, um, he's amazing. Um, he's the most dominant player that I've seen by far in any stretch of the imagination at Marquette. Um, he's just incredible. Um, so how about the big East? How about the big East? Yeah. So kind of a weird week in the big East. And I think it's going to be a weird season overall. Um, but Seton Hall six and O, um, which is grumble, grumble. Um, yeah, re- really don't like that. They're no. number one on offense and defense in the conference so far. Yeah, they've been pretty freaking dominant, and they're basically doing it without arguably their second best player. Yeah, um, second or third sucks. at least. Yeah, which really sucks. Although uh, they did, uh, they did get a little bit uh, spooked by St. John's on Saturday, right. so hasn't they, been completely perfect. Nope, but they steadied. They beat Butler on the road, which is really not hard, not easy to do, um, and they. And that was Butler's first loss in the conference. Now Butler then um, raw peed on themselves um, against DePaul. 
Yeah, what? Like, they got they destroyed. I, I, I had lunch plans that day, so I wasn't able to watch, but I look at my phone, and, like, that just popped out at me like it was a jump scare in a horror movie. Like, what yeah. the hell was that? Yeah, well, uh, Paul shot 10 of 17 from 3. That, um, that'll help things. That'll yeah. certainly help. So that's a really dominant performance by them, and I think it just kind of trickled down from there. I mean, Paul Reed is really having a moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. DePaul, DePaul is totally fine. They hadn't won a Big East game yet, but they had been close uh, twice. And, and you know what? That's all that matters. Right. Yeah. Hashtag rank DePaul. So they weren't really ever going to go away completely, and they are officially not gone away because they beat the team that was probably the favorite going into conference play. Um, yeah, like just when you think they're starting to get like a little bit of separation in terms of what teams are going to be good, which ones aren't, mm-hmm. like DePaul beats Butler like this. Yep. And so like I'm kind of thinking that like Xavier might start to – fall by the wayside a little bit in Big East play, but I'm well, sure they'll find a way to beat Creighton on the road on Sunday. Sleep on Xavier at your own peril. I mean, we saw what they did last year. Exactly. Completely dug out of a hole, and they weren't even supposed to be good last year, and they did that, and they were supposed to be better this year, so who knows. Um, I think St. John's might beat Marquette tomorrow. I don't think that that's going to happen. It's a possibility, though. But otherwise... They, they've- They've beaten Arizona and West Virginia this year. Like, they definitely yeah. have it in them. They and Mike Anderson, I think, is a really good coach. So, But I do think they're one of the teams that you could look at in this conference and write them out as a no, write them off as a non-tournament team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Georgetown... Yeah, probably one of the only. I think Georgetown is approaching that as well. Um, I know that they've started well, and they have a couple of nice non-conference wins um, over some high major teams that are not very good. Um, but I don't, I mean, Georgetown is, I think they're going to, I think they're going to fall apart down the stretch. What um, did Andy say about that when they were having their hot streak? It was something along the lines of even a dead cat will bounce. Something right. like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I like uh, yeah. I definitely think that's what's going on with them. Yep. Um, I think, I think, um, Providence is likely to eventually cool off, and their bad start to the season will catch up to them. Yeah, uh, and really, that, I, I I don't know if I talked about this on the pod or with a separate group, but like Providence d- being even decently good in Big East play is just horrible for the conference overall. Yeah, because every single win they get. The only thing it does is suck down the other team even further into a vortex. Totally, because I don't think they're going to be able to overcome their start. They would have to go like 11 and 7 or 12 and 6 to overcome their bad start. Oh, I don't, at least. I don't, yeah, and I don't think they're going to be able to do that. I, I think if you look at um, their their start to the season or to the Big East season, um, it's Georgetown, DePaul, St. John's, and then us by one in overtime. Yeah. Um, and then when they played Butler, they were pretty well humbled. However, Creighton on the road was a game that they did have. I mean, that game was theirs, and they mm-hmm. completely bungled it away at the end. And David Duke had um, 30... Hashtag not the racist. Hashtag go by Dave. Uh, had 36 <laughs> six points in that game. And so, um, you know, if they have a guy that's capable of doing that, um, maybe they can find their form, but in general, our only, our only hope is that that loss turns into a Q2 loss instead of a Q3 loss. Yeah. It help us a little bit if that happened. Um, that said, so I think that they're, you know, obviously I think Seton Hall, Villanova and Butler are pretty solidly NCAA tournament teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you look down the next rung and I think you go to Marquette and Creighton, um, and DePaul is sort of clinging with their cold, dead hands to that uh, area as well. Um, and then depending on what you think about Georgetown, I personally don't think Georgetown's going to be able to hold up. Um, and then Xavier is really struggling. So 
I mean, I think that they're the one and three start was really difficult for Marquette. Um, just in general, I think that that was the optics of it, especially dropping two straight after you beat Nova at home convincingly was really difficult. Um, and then obviously just start the season getting blown out, but looking at it now, there's Marquette is in about as good of a situation as you could ask for if you are going to discount the fact that they're not among the best teams in the conference, which I guess I wasn't really sure about going in, but I'm kind of sure about now. Um, Ken Palm has them at nine and nine. Um, And while that sounds bad, um, it would be tied for fourth in the conference, which is not only what they were picked to be, but if you look at, just who are the teams in the conference? I think you would say that Seton Hall, Villanova, and Butler for now are all better than them, despite the fact that Villanova was took the loss in the head-to-head. So mm-hmm. finishing tied for fourth probably gets Marquette in the tournament and is probably about what Marquette, as currently constructed, should do. Yeah. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think nine and nine definitely gets them, and I think even eight and ten probably still gives them a good chance, just due to the fact that one, college basketball sucks this year, and yep. two, even if it was awesome, the bubble teams by nature are very very flawed. So, I am currently of the mindset that getting into the tournament probably won't be as much of a struggle as I might have initially thought last week, but. Uh, but yeah, it's it. The Big East is just such a hodgepodge, and like probably everything that we said about all these teams is probably going to be flipped on its head by the time we talk next week. Yeah, exactly, and that's the nature of this conference. Obviously, um, I, I I mean I think I said this earlier in the podcast, but for me, I think Marquette's goal has to be ten and eight. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's still my goal for all this. Yeah, and. You know, Ken Palm has them at nine and nine and has them at nine and nine. You know, Ken Palm's projected record doesn't always match with the game to game predictions, mm-hmm. but it does right now. And so I think the goal for Marquette has to be going forward win the games that you can take care of, like the home games against the teams that are considered to be in the back half of the conference, and where you make up the game that gets you over 500 in the conference mm-hmm. um, because I think that at this point with Seton Hall at 6-0 and and having lost to Providence and been blown out twice you can't really expect this team to compete to win the conference so I think that what they have to do is maximize you know the opportunities that they have left and looking at how even and difficult this conference is um perfect reasonable goal um would be breaking 500 and sort of separating yourself among a group of bubble team type teams in the big east as like a a seven to ten seed something like that i mean even even more like a like a six to eight seed as like a you're a solidly in if not if unspectacular decent basketball team with a super high upside, given that you have the best player in the country. Um, there, that I said. Kind of, that kind of uh, that kind of brings up a little bit of an interesting question. At least it's interesting to me to the point that I've thought of it. So, 2017-2018, those teams were, without a doubt, considerably worse than the way the team is right now. But... The team right now, had, like even though there's like defensive struggles, they're for the most part pretty decently balanced. Whereas those 2017-2018 teams had zero balance at all, and it was in the direction of a more exciting product of basketball, specifically with the three-headed monster of Rousey, Howard, Hauser. Mm. My question... I don't want to say which one would you prefer, 
but I'm kind of asking that with the idea in mind that the general point of sports as a fan is to be entertained. Yeah. So does the pure entertainment factor of those Marquette teams where it's just chuck and shoot and make everything, even if you're going to give up 90 points a game, is that a little bit preferable for you than something like this? Uh, no, because, okay. and I love, I, no, I won't say I love that team. Um, <laughs> it was at times extremely fun to have Marcus Howard and Andrew Rousey at the same time. Um, I like knowing that the basketball team that I support can put together a game that's good enough to beat almost everybody on a given night. And that team was not because (laughs) they could not play their two best players in a way that was conducive to victory most times. Yeah. Um, And you couldn't, the def that defense was so bad that you could not, predict game to game how this team was going to do it because was beyond that could just absolutely scorch them regardless of how good they were any team could totally scorch them and that team played matt Helt and theo john and harry froling at center so <laughs> excuse me if i am not blown away by that but um i'll i'll, I'll take a pass on on those options in the post um and while that was electric and fun and all that jazz um and the 2017 version of it uh made the tournament um i'm not interested in just absolutely no defense at any point whatsoever um as much as like yeah that was electric and it was cool you know, what is the difference really it, it, you know, having a national player like Marcus Howard kind of encompasses that element of it where all the headlines are always about Marcus Howard got another 40 point game. That's amazing. And so that's kind of that element, but also this team is capable of playing a game of decent defense and is capable of beating any other team in the big East um, on a given night. And it doesn't have to require them shooting 55% from three. Like that team, the only way that that team could win games against competent opponents was just burning down the house. And it was extremely fun when they did. But this team is the fifth best three-point shooting team in the country. Like, yeah, that's true. I far prefer for, you know, if that element exists, which it does, like I far prefer a competent defense that will keep you in most games to whatever um, the ninth best offense in the big East will hit you for 95 points. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't want that game. So I I think it's a good thought exercise. Yeah. To to Um, me, what brings it over to preferring this team is that at least this team still has, Marcus Howard and I was kind of thinking from the aspect of like what will I remember down the road like I am going to remember those three straight possessions that Rousey had on his senior night against Creighton where he dribbled up to the logo shot it three times and it went in every time yeah and like I'm gonna remember hashtag the thing and like all these different stretches where for five minutes like the offense would just go full on Charmander. But also, even if it's a little bit less quote unquote exciting this year, there's obviously the element of Marcus Howard doing all of that just by himself. And so that's in terms of this specific thought experiment that probably sets it over for me, but it's something I might think about later on if uh, there's a, two teams with uh, different styles, one being more balanced 
and better, but one having a little bit more pizzazz, even if they're worse, because uh, that does still mean something. Watching those regular season games where just you're in complete awe, that still does mean something to me. For what it's worth, the pizzazz team did go 9-9 nine and nine in the Big East. Yeah. Um, and they torched Wisconsin. That was great. Yeah. Well, that was the Wisconsin's roster has fallen apart irreparably, and they haven't been able to figure out how to fix it yet uh, game. But, yeah. I mean, I, I think I have positive memories of parts of that season, but I will forever take a team that I have confidence will at least be able to um, – that there's a path for them to win every game that's not, like I said, burn the house down. Um, yeah. Anything else? Um, I think we're up, pushing up against an hour here. Yeah, a uh, quick shout-out to uh, my lads, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Your lad. Shout-out uh, our podcast brother, uh, Joe McCann. Uh, yeah. For whatever reason, half of the Marquette podcast contingency uh, went to high school in Kansas City and roots for the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs. So... I will be so rooting that's just great. Chiefs as well. Um, hey, thank you. Uh, I also want to take this uh, opportunity quickly to uh, say, uh, hell yeah, we have Patrick Mahomes, and he's better than Aaron Rodgers, so get bent, every single Packer fan. I know that I'm relying on most of you to listen to this podcast and uh, contribute to our listens, and me trashing your favorite football team will uh, probably not be great for that, but I don't care. Mahomes is better than Rodgers. It's great. Get bent. Go Chiefs. Well said. Um, I am excited to see Patrick Mahomes potentially torch the Niners in the Super Bowl. I would be very excited. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah, it would be. It would be lovely. Um, All right, we'll be back. Uh, sometime next weekend, probably, um, with no football, um, Sunday seems like a likely possibility. Although Uh, those are Grammys. Oh, gosh, well, that changes everything. I do love watching those performances, actually. Oh, I'm not a fan. This year, the lineup looks uh, kind of, uh, iffy. If they're advertising Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani, that's, uh, probably not moving the needle as much for me, but, uh. Those are I always in, like the little collabs that they do. Those are not people I've ever really been interested in their music, with the exception of maybe very early Gwen Stefani. Yeah, her <laughs> no doubt was uh that was yeah. uh, that was some great nineties ska type stuff. And then her song with Akon, the one where she like mumbles for like five seconds. What's that called? Mm, trying to remember. Sweet Escape. I, yes. Oh god, great song. Remember Akon? Uh, yes. He Akon put out two albums was last year. Having, Did you know that? I was having a conversation with Akon, about Akon the other day, actually. He, how, oh, what is he doing? He has, like, some sort of project where he, he has his own uh, cryptocurrency. Oh, hell yeah. I want to say, ah, uh, I should Google this before being irresponsible, but I want to say he's like, coin. he's, like, founding an African colony where the only currency is his bitcoin oh hell yes uh i could be wrong but I'm he's like gonna... a good dude too i don't think he's gonna like wyclef john this whole thing Ooh, wait you mean ja rule no a uh, wyclef what's john the re- from uh the fujis yeah what's the reference there uh after the haiti earthquake was that an earthquake or hurricane earthquake hey, really um, well, yeah, after the Haiti earthquake, uh, Wyclef John of the Fugees, uh, I think promised to do a bunch of different charity stuff. He was going on national TV and all that cause he's from Haiti. Uh, and he kind of grifted everyone out of their money. I didn't know that. That's unfortunate. I thought you were mistaking him for Ja Rule. Um, update on the Akon story. Um, Senegal has approved Akon's plans for a cryptocurrency-powered city. All so right. It was a colony. It was a city, but I mostly had the details of the story right. So shout out to Akon. Um, shout out Akon. Shout out Gwen Stefani. 
not shout up Blake Shelton because I don't really know what he is and he could be problematic and I don't want to be wrong on that. He was the worst sexiest man in the world choice of the last recent memory. Oh yeah, I remember sure. that. That was like two years ago or like a year ago and it's like, well, no. <laughs> kind of looks like a looks like a divorced dad, which I think he actually is, but he could be. Um, anyhow, um, that is right on an hour, folks. And uh, we are going to wrap this thing up, but we will be back next week. Um, and we will be talking about a completely different team and conference picture because college basketball is chaos. And if anything is to be done with chaos, you must embrace it. It's beautiful. <laughs>